Hello, and welcome back to We Heart Hartnett, the podcast dedicated to exploring the filmography of the actor. Joshua, Daniel, Hartnett, movie by movie. I'm Patrick Willems. And I am Jake the Drifter Torby. And I, we're doing Bunraku? Yeah. And I'm, I'm gacked <laughs> Torpy. Gax Torpy. I, I, th- I really thought it was going to be like uh, Matt the Bartender Torpy. Or Matt Gax Torpy. Matt Gax. Matt Russia Torpy. <laughs> there, we, there we go. Yeah. Because voice. people are, are craving those Bunraku references. You, mm. know what, you guys, you know what's hip right now? That was a Mario reference. Bunraku re- references. Yeah, but no, those no. Raku references. But Matt, you are making a reference to the Bunraku episode. Yeah. That's a correct, yes. Yeah. People, want, people are uh, really raving about those Raku refs. Raku refs. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, bro, sweet Raku ref. <laughs> Wait, can all the we... cool kids are tech decking and Raku refing. I was still thinking about that conversation we had today, though, Jake, this morning, about how Snape. <laughs> Me and really, Matt had a conversation really about Severus is Snape. One of the most cuckolded characters. <laughs> we were talking about all this. of like. There's no way to be more cuckolded than Snape. Yeah, we we were well, talking about. Uh, but he never got together with Lily. He he just got rejected. I think people kind of yeah. Maybe I'm too loose with the definition. That's true. He just sort of. It's pi- not. It's not like uh, Lily was cheating on him with James Potter. <laughs> Fair enough. Maybe he's just set a little pathetic. <laughs> he's just because the he most just ultimate pined character. over Lily. He no no. He's the ultimate beta. Yes. Yeah. Well, because yeah. he not only does he but lose then he the girl of his alpha. dreams, sort of, kind of, he loses the girl of his Bro, dreams. Bro, he's the half blood prince. <laughs> and then, even despite all that, disliking James Potter and losing his his high school crush, no, Lily you, Potter. You know what's even more annoying is that James Potter is essentially you all know that guy that you wish you hated, but you just can't because he's so nice and like cool yeah. to you that's it which is even worse because it can't even be it's like this object of your shameful hatred where you're yeah. like i fuck you though dude. you hate them and nobody will relate to your hatred yeah so this yeah. charming chad just <laughs> just gets with lily yep has a kid and then they die and then snape is just spends the rest of his time like Secretly essentially being mean while Watching actually after being the most of a guardian angel so that you could. He best of both worlds. He gets to be good and bad at the same time. He's so cuckolded sort of that he's defender. beautiful. He's a beautiful human. <laughs> yeah. You know, guys, I'm really wondering now what like the MRA perspective on Harry Potter lore is. I don't hear about that a lot. I know, and yeah. you know what? Does anyone a, have any? I mean, like, <laughs> it's we, a voice we need. But the, the is, we know what they, what they think about Star Wars. We know what they think about comic book stuff yeah i don't know what they think about harry potter it's still probably positive just because of like you know the hero's mail you know for the most part yeah i mean there's like arguments against you know what i bet they fucking hate Hmm. hermione the the cursed child because that has a black hermione oh Oh, no because that does some blackwashing oh in the in the oh no (laughs) is that an issue that they have i never heard i I wasn't sure that was a term until on the latest video the uh the robin hood king arthur one if you haven't watched it yet go to the go to youtube.com slash patrick h williams and watch it um good video um but there was this one i have certain words flagged uh in the comments like i don't read the comments but i just i'll go to the section that has like the flagged comments just to like delete them and then block the people who commented from ever commenting again (laughs) but there was one guy it was really funny because he was like hey man i love you big fan of this channel i and i was digging this video until you said 
that it's okay to like change the gender or race of these like 500 year old characters because and then he went on this long thing of course he went on a long thing and there was even one thing where he's like even my wife agrees in parentheses she agrees that feminism is a joke and then goes this whole thing about and and says like blackwashing is not okay and the whole thing he's being really nice to me but just spouting these terrible oh my god and then i clicked on his account just to see what things what he let other videos he liked and stuff like that because you can see like recently liked videos and they're just videos by like sargon of akkad and like uh sargon. just i don't know who that is but they already it sounds evil um i sargon they, of akkad. He, he he really digs a lot of the alt-right youtubers great and so i blocked that guy dude yeah. come on sargon's just a f- he's so fucking lame i don't know have who you like i've watched his two-hour videos about like like how Doom Eternal is making SJWs angry because it's like a, a immigration parable. So, Ugh. you know, like he's just a fat British guy who he got sounds cornered like a Lord in- of the Rings villain. I, so, well, no, Sargon of Akkad is an ancient Assyrian ruler. Yeah, which oh, is also I mean, extremely dorky of him to call himself that because he clearly would never survive in some sort of ancient armed combat of any kind. He'd <laughs> okay. be so winded from just like trying to get on a horse. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, he sucks and is super lame. But but anyone who is like an avowed fan of his is someone I never want to interact it's, with. It's in twenty eighteen, that is blocked. sad, dude. Yeah. You just got blocked. Yeah. Great. I remember th- yeah, this guy all he had also liked a bunch of videos by uh the sort of like the comics gate channels, mm. which are the it's, the it's the movement railing against SJW's ruining yeah. the comic book industry. I bet his wife doesn't exist. I bet he's like my wife, like how some people are like, oh, my girlfriend. They're like, oh, yeah, where does she live? And they're like, Canada. <laughs> Toronto. She's so hot, though. She's, she's hot, She's really though. busy just, and just like, can't make it to this country. Do you have a photo? Often. No. Do you, ever, do you ever guys follow uh, Savage Psycho Joe? He's like an Instagram uh, fitness guy. No. no. He but he sounds fun, though. But his body's awful, and he's like... <laughs> his body is awful. Yeah, and he's also... And, he, <laughs> and he's like, you know, he just sounds nuts. But he, he'll post these photos of, like, beautiful women that, like, everyone just proves are, like, photos of, like, Russian fitness models that he's never met. And he's mm-hmm. just like, this is my client. <laughs> like, <laughs> I trained her. And people are just like, no, you didn't. And he's like, and then he just berates them forever until they, like, just, like, relent. Yeah. This guy sounds amazing. He's also really great. Wow. His name's Savage. It's Savage Psycho Joe. Yeah. <laughs> so, guys, this is a podcast about Josh Hartnett. And as you can tell from See, everything that we're well, talking about, we we only we exclusively discuss Josh. Well, here's on the this thing: podcast. sometimes you need to know what you have by looking at the polar opposite, which are horrible male figures of just like bad opinions and 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 shitty behaviors, and then and it, questionable logical like you know what's the word like arguments. You're not, I don't even have the right word phrasing. You can't. I can't even can't, say that sentence. You can't argue against logic by saying something can't. that flat. Saying some argumentation. We're talking about a bunch of bad guys. Bad guys. So that the uh, in stark contrast to them stands our guy, Josh. A, a good our guy, guy, Josh Hartnett. Our guy. Isn't that an alt right thing to get too? Get Gryffindor. Oh, <laughs> how many things can they co-opt? <laughs> Our, our, our guy, they co-opted that phrase. Maybe he's our guy. Yeah. Oh well, well, that's it. we usually call him our boy. Our he's boy. our boy. Exactly. He's our sweet our big golden boy. boy. Yeah, because Josh would never believe any of these toxic beliefs. Josh would never say any of that stuff because Mm-mm. Josh is a good guy. Boy. By Josh is a good boy, <laughs> a good forty-year-old boy, and he's, he is. We're in the mature years of his film career now. I would mm-hmm. say. Yeah, the years when he has. 
a little mustache and a little a bit little of, goatee. A little goatee. <laughs> yeah. Your little hair is poking out of his chinny chin chin. He finally oh. grew some some hair on his face. A little facial sprouts. What I appreciate is that anyone listening to this episode, the girl walks into the bar episode. Yeah. There's no way you're you're here if you have not listened to a bunch of episodes of this podcast already. This is no one's first episode. We're so far <laughs> in. Um, yeah. uh, unless for some reason uh, Sebastian Gutierrez decided to check this episode out. Right. Um, but in which case, like, hi. Hey, hey, hey Sebastian. Sebastian. Hey Sebastian. Come on um, the pod and we can make fun of your writing. <laughs> a did little he write bit. This? Oh you yeah, know, he, he did. He has a, a a weird and fascinating career that we're going to talk about. But the, what I'm saying is. This is no one's first episode, and so if you're listening to this episode, you are used to us derailing, derailing going on tangents, because also, you know, I haven't seen these guys all weekend. Uh, yeah. We're, yeah. we're, like, not only talking about Josh, but we're catching up on yeah. air. It's been two days or something. It's been two days. <laughs> I've, been. I've had the apartment to myself. Matt, just heads up, uh, it does not look good right now. <laughs> oh, boy. I have, I have not been living a good Let's weekend. just say that there was a, a doo-doo diarrhea explosion. <laughs> The doctor uh, said it was a uh, feces massacre. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that is the clinical term. And I, I had a really good reason for being in your room when that happened. So <laughs> just a uh, advance warning. All your synths that you bought, let's just say, for whatever reason, I gravitated towards those in my panic, and they're filled to the brim with duty. And the circuit boards do I, not I, work. I made in your, in your synths. And I screamed, I'm making, in, in the loudest <laughs> voice possible as it just sprayed out. And so, Wukaka! Wukaku! Bunraku! Just scream Bunraku. So what we're getting at here is this is a podcast about Josh Hartnett. <laughs> and, and his films. And exclusively yeah. him. <laughs> nothing but Josh. Pure Unfiltered Josh. Uh, uncut. 100%, 100% Josh. <laughs> Un- untrimmed. We're, oh, okay, you know Juicy Juice? This is Joshy yeah. Josh. 100%, 100% Josh from 100% Kids. <laughs> Joshy Josh. And Welcome. today we're talking about a film. It is a film. From mm. 2011 called Girl Walks Into a Bar. Not, conf- not to be confused with that other girl who walks home at night. Yes. And, and there's not also to be confused a- with the opening, like like a standard joke opening i think there's girl also a into play a bar. anything walks into a bar like your girl walks into a bar or something like that Could there's be. i remember uh getting a little tangled in the search engine there was something random other thing from all more i know recent. is that when i went to input this film into my letterboxd account mm-hmm. kids follow <laughs> me on letterboxd uh when i typed girl walks the only two results were uh the Iranian vampire film and this one, which that's a good one. The Iranian I actually vampire. I still haven't film. seen it. Oh well, there I is should. to to be clear here. Um, if you type in "girl walks into a" in Google, there's a couple different things that are "girl walks into a bar." There's a book. There is also a song "girl walks into a bar," and Who's then let's see. And then there's also Google says "girl walks into a bar." Rachel Dratch, and I don't know what that means. Oh, that. Has to be a that sketch. also appeared when I searched on YouTube. It might be it's a sketch. Yeah, or some sort of. Um, oh, song. the the guy that wrote the song. Girl walks into a bar was Tyler Farr. I don't know who. Oh, oh who wait. cares? That that also appeared. He has like a Vivo account. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I feel, I, I feel like that should be like a 
a set like a late seventies rock song, mm-hmm. like go walks into a bar. Yeah, like <laughs> like, like a like, like a, a, P- a Bob Seger Bob song. Seger one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's got that kind of Girl walks thing. into a bar. Oh, God. <laughs> Is that your boss? She didn't get very far. <laughs> Guys, I think... Oh, wait. Let's just keep this going. Let's uh, let's just write, write a whole song live on this episode. What happened to her? <laughs> she didn't get very far. I don't know if you just heard she my like, Bob Seger, but it was extremely bad. <laughs> and I don't want to keep doing it because I'm already embarrassed. No, we, we'll move on because... Guys, on this, the rocks. This... Oh. This is, according to Wikipedia, uh, a 2011 multiple storyline ensemble comedy film uh, produced exclusively for internet distribution. Mm-hmm. It is directed by Sebastian Gutierrez from his own script, much like the anthology style of Gutierrez's Women in Trouble, and follows a group of apparent strangers and interlocking stories taking place in 10 different bars. I didn't realize there were 10 different bars. During the course of one evening throughout Los Angeles, and so yeah, all the, think, all the famous ones are featured. I, I just yeah. don't know mm. LA bars very well or at all. But I think a key thing to talk about here is this is in the period of Josh's career, really like the past decade or so, where he is taking risks. Yes, he is working with directors, doing making unconventional films, literally doing risky business. <sighs> yeah, you, you know, what, oh my, yeah. God, so, if they had like remade Risky Business in the late nineties, yeah, <laughs> Josh could he wouldn't have been as good as Tom Cruise in that role. But I could see him doing like a, a spin on that. Oh yeah, his take. Sometimes you just gotta look back, like lean back and just say fuck it. I could see Josh doing that. Yeah, he line. could deliver that line. Oh yeah, yeah. But to be like, you know, he's doing risky stuff now. Yeah. But I will say. It, this Sin City, like the kind of the bigger things where that, that, that marked almost like changes in, in medium or whatever, right? Because like Sin City was all about this new green screen technology. It was just like a new filmmaking, like a, like a new approach to filmmaking. Right. So he is at the forefront of this kind of stuff, which is really interesting and commendable because, you know, he, he gets that movie greenlit essentially, I think, by his presence, helping out. And then uh, this is a movie made for one of the first few to like really try and do something. I don't know. They just mean that it's sold exclusively online for streaming well, or no, whatever. What happened was uh, they had a deal with YouTube and a sponsorship from Lexus. And this movie premiered on, I mean, it had like a premiere at a movie theater, but it went on YouTube for, for free. free. Yeah. It was the the basically before Netflix was making original movies and mm-hmm. before movies mm-hmm. would just go on like appear on the internet. This was a precursor to all of that. This yeah. was like the first movie just made exclusively for online distribution. It's so normal now. Yeah, Netflix drops like three uh, like three new movies every couple days. <laughs> I know. And uh, and this just this was the first one. Isn't and it, it, it? It's it, wild. This was like a. Uh, such a this was an experiment and as much as like i don't think any of us loved this film no but it's like like it and and again this feels almost more like a filmmaking experiment to me than like a real movie yeah i mean for me that was the most notable thing about it as well it's just that it was trying new things not in the realm of the storytelling or the cinematography or anything like that but just that a We're going to try photography. It was shot on mm. Canon 7D. Canon, it's Canon 7D, the whole thing. Yeah, which is basically true. the same as like cameras we own. 
That's true. I mean, we're a couple years past, though, when I feel like digital cinematography, mainly because of the red camera, had its heyday, which was around 08. Isn't Steven Soderbergh's Shea generally considered one of like the pioneering movies, feature film, theatrically distributed films that was shot entirely on digital camera? No. I mean, I know no. there were no. lots no, no, of no, stuff. No, 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 okay. no. I'm Jake. talking out of school. Jake, you're very incorrect when we talk about this, <laughs> this exact topic on this podcast a lot. Huh? No. The, the first major film shot entirely on digital <laughs> was in, tw- in 2002. It was okay. Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Get wrecked. Oh, then, oh, I mean, right, like right, Robert right. Rodriguez shot Once Upon a Time in Mexico and and yes, uh, yes. and Spy Kids Two <laughs> and uh, and Sin City. All of these were digital. Okay, uh, fin- fair point. Fincher's first digital film was uh, was Zodiac in 2007. There were a lot of digital movies, but um, what this movie really represents in terms of digital cinema- uh, cinematography, this was a DSLR movie. Okay, this was shot on. Uh, on like consumer level uh, yeah. cameras, Got like it. this, the camera this was shot on costs a thousand dollars. It's Got uh, it. that yeah. that's what it was because this was uh, what was happening around this time was the like the DSLR revolution when people were like, oh my god, these Canon cameras can shoot full HD and you can put different lenses on them and suddenly get this look. Yeah. With uh, like the shallow depth of field that you could not previously get with consumer level cameras. I mean, you've shot stuff on the 7D. Well, okay. So the thing about Canon cameras on, until recently, but back around then, because 2011 was when I bought my uh, Canon Rebel T2i, which then you also bought one of those. Yeah. So those cameras for video... All the Canon cameras, even up to the 7D, which costs like double what some of the others cost, were like identical for video. The only one that was different for video was the 5D Mark II, which was a full had a full frame sensor. Okay. But so all those Canon cameras, basically the video on them looked the same, and right. so the cam the camera that I I don't shoot on anymore, but I own one, you own one. It's basically the same as what this movie was shot on. Mm-hmm. And that was a big thing that was that was happening. Like other indie movies, sort of around this this period, began to be shot on on the same things. And uh, and yeah. So that was what was notable about it was the fact that it was shot on a consumer camera, right? Something that was cheap. Exactly. Okay. It's more in line with like m- maybe the analog. Most recently would be Tangerine, just something that's like commercially owned by, or like I mean, like just universally owned by people, so that. Yeah. You kind of like show the potential for something that is also available to a larger pe- amount of people than normal. Exactly. And, well, uh, and jo- Josh also did what seems like his MO for this kind of thing too, though. He didn't quite do the same thing, but he almost bookends this film as well while right. appearing for a very short duration of the movie. Yeah, he's not in this movie a lot. But he kind of, it's a little bit like his Sin City appearance where like, you know, he's not the focus by any means, but he just has this weird like, front part of the movie and then he sort of like his storyline just has nothing in between and then just ends at the very end well by almost. front part of the movie i mean he really just kind of shows up very very briefly for a phone call right yeah yeah and he's he's, th- he's mostly on except for one scene he's pretty much on his own talking on the phone on the phone yeah to his weird like detective partner Carla Gugino. Freelancer. How do you pronounce her last name? I, I believe Carla it's... Carla Gugino. Gugino, And okay. important thing to note, uh, she uh, has been in a relationship with Sebastian Gutierrez since 2005. They've made several films together. Gotcha. She's kind of his muse. Huh. Uh, because I haven't seen any of his movies, but... Sorry, I'm derailing this to talk about 
muses the, the no, no just the the <laughs> director and let's and talk about muses the lead actress no actually sorry you you were saying you you just uh, we we're talking about josh and then you mentioned carla Gugino. well no i was just saying that he was on the phone with carla gugino gugino yeah uh for his couple of scenes and then obviously he works with rosario dawson well this face is to face this is a big reunion of many people josh has worked with before yes <laughs> we have three women from sin city Returning, yeah. Aforementioned uh-huh. Carla Gugino, Rosario Dawson, and Alexis Bledel. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we've got oh my god, um, who el- else is in this movie that he he worked with before? Well, Danny DeVito is in the Virgin Suicides. <laughs> yeah. Technically, yeah, yes, you're right. I didn't even remember scene. that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Is that it, or is are you saying there's more? Um, I believe. Oh, oh, uh, Emmanuel Sh- uh, Shriki from August. Oh, AKA yeah. Sloan from Entourage. Yeah. Jesus, man. Wow. I mean, Emmanuel Shrieky isn't even. Uh, which character is she? She's. Oh, right. She's the uh, Teresa, the, the the exotic dancer. Yes, the sister of uh, Aaron Tiviot. Mm-hmm. Henry, yeah. right? Yes. Yeah. And uh, so you're right. He's reuniting with a lot of people that he's worked with before, but for very, very short. And it's, it's also funny, Spans the only person that he really shares the screen with is Rosario Dawson, and they yeah. are never in scenes together in Sin City. Yeah. Uh, he, he, the only person he was in the scene with in Sin City is, uh, who's in this movie is Alexis Bledel. Okay. Yep. And because uh, he's going to kill her at the end of that movie. <laughs> but, um, and th- well, she paid for it in that movie. Yeah. So. Happy ending. And, and again, also, I think that I find <laughs> funny, so, uh, you know, Alexis Bledel will obviously obviously always be known as Rory Gilmore. Yeah. That is like the, the role she was basically like the designed for, um, <laughs> just and, literally and designed for it. She was laboratory. Built. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well in the way that like, um, I will say I, I have, I still haven't watched the handmaid's tale, but I heard she's good on that. She's great. But yeah. She's often like, doesn't totally work in other movies. She's been in. It's like, she, she is good as Rory Gilmore. And then I find her, like a little awkward in, in other things. And I find, and she's a, has like giant eyes and yeah. is like a really like sweet, approachable person. She's crazy. Uh, she looks like Alita. Yeah. Yeah. Her eyes are gigantic. And I find it odd and kind of funny that she plays a like sort of criminal prostitute in Sin City and, right. and then is an exotic dancer in this movie. And I'm like, that, neither things I think of when yeah. I think Alexis Bledel. You want to hear something weird, too? Sure. Yes. Uh, and this also includes Rosario Dawson. As far as working with Josh Hartnett, Sin City, Girl Walks Into a Bar, her and Rosario Dawson are also in something we're going to cover in the future, Parts Per Billion. Whoa. That's weird. That Wait, is weird. I wonder if Josh and them just like all somehow like were like, we're all in or we're not all in. And then yeah. they had like some sort of weird you take strike. Them or you or I'm yeah. gone. Are <laughs> you intent on just finally like weird being movies. in scenes with them? Yeah. It's like, like we need to share the screen. And like, <laughs> like you have to keep casting us until we're in the same scene. In these odd little movies that nobody's seen. The other thing about this movie that I, I, I latched on to was just the tone felt very... Because this I was like sort of like in college at this point and had run across a fair share of like indie movies at that point, can like contemporary indie movies. And this has that tone a bit. It's like mm-hmm. an indified version of like a Quentin Tarantino movie. Yes. You know what I mean? Like all of the like violence and rough sharp edges of a Tarantino movie are removed or sanded down. And it's just this sort of like Sorkin-y dialogue where it's like all the settings 
are seedy, but like there's like just like sort of mumblecore like I don't know like snappy dialogue kind of just like everyone just sort of talking and 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 shooting the shit about life and pop culture and things like that. Yeah, it's like if Aaron Sorkin tried to write a mumblecore movie, but then I mean this is the definition of why I did not like it. Basically, yeah. what I'm trying <laughs> yeah. to get at, but like that is the vibe. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, what I found funny about it, like, I, I definitely got that sort of post-Tarantino vibe, mm-hmm. similar to I, that I, I got from Lucky Number 11, mm. and this kind of reminds me of, like, the scenes in Lucky Number 11 without, like, violence, or, yeah. with, or, or without, I mean... Without the budget. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's like, if you t- took just the apartment scenes with Lucy Liu and, and Josh in Lucky Number 11 and then made, a mo- like, a 90-minute movie out of them... Out of that, and Actually, sorry, set it in a bar I will say, the entire time. I misspoke. This is an 80-minute movie, which I was so happy to see when I turned it on, and I was like, oh, yes, 80 minutes. Yeah. I can do Lean that. Lean and mean. Yeah. Like, and one th- formless. <laughs> and, one, and somehow loose yeah, and baggy. <laughs> one thing you can't say about this, you, <laughs> this movie, at least, is brief. Yeah. And uh, other Ooh. movies we've covered, I wish, were this brief. Yeah. Yeah. So, can I read... The first paragraph of the Wikipedia plot yeah. summary for this. Um, yeah. Do as you Wikipedia will. The Wikipedia plot summary is two paragraphs long. Here is yeah. the first of those two paragraphs. There's <laughs> the first of the two. Not a lot of plot. Okay. An undercover ex-cop named Francine Driver, played by Carla Gugino, who poses as an assassin. This, this is needlessly complicated. It's uh, uh, yeah. Meets a dentist, Nick, played by Zachary Quinto, in a Los Angeles bar. Nick wants his wife, Karen, dead. He does not have the upfront payment of $20,000, but promises he can get it for her before the night is over. When he leaves, Francine meets a young man named Henry, played by Aaron Tiviot, a photographer who charms her before stealing her wallet and running off into the night. Her wallet contains the device used to record her conversation with Nick, and the evidence is incriminating. Mmm. And... Hi, Jinx. It's funny because reading that out loud makes this sound like a... Twisty, turny, kind sounds of like, like a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really not. None of this matters. It's basically just a series. I mean, it, it's almost like Richard Linklater style, just a series <laughs> of like long conversations, conversations in different bars. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, we well, you know the last scene. It just seemed like he was just like, oh man, this still isn't like quite eighty minutes. Could you guys just dance for a little bit? It was like it just <laughs> yeah. felt so like, like just like I don't know, man. Just, Why don't you guys dance or something? Yeah, it's just oh, seventy-eight minutes. Shit, shit. All dance right, credits. For me. Dance monkeys. <laughs> Keep dancing. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, Zachary it, Kinto tries to to murder his wife, and then that felt super like a very cool setup for a movie that then started to drift into a series of conversations it, it immediately, in different bars that felt very loose. Neither version of what could have happened from that were th- something that I wanted to engage with, unfortunately. Yeah. Like, I was like, okay, this is like, we got the snappy killer immediately. Like, you know, you can just, again, you can, you can like hear the writer breathing heavier as he like wrote it because he's it does tapping this, away at his it's just the same thing keyboard. as like never slapping where someone will say a word someone will repeat the word then they'll define the word yeah and yeah. just that sort of thing well again yeah. jake and i we were discussing this earlier because i had i watched it yesterday and it's already again it's one of these movies that's like quickly fading out of my head yeah uh but we were saying it sound it's a movie that definitely reads better and that's yeah. why like maybe it gets more buzz or a green light because like it's one of these movies where it's very hard to decide or distinguish between something that's overwritten but is snappy like a prose 
Yeah. And something that like actually would be awkward to portray on the screen. Yeah. Like when somebody hands you the script and you're flipping through it, you're like, this is a well-written movie. This is cool. Like I love all the dialogue, but then to have people actually perform it, you realize how kind of false and weird the dialogue sounds. And it's almost right. like it's just better on the page. And I mean, it is a stylistic choice. I mean, sure. he is mimicking, like we said, probably Sorkin and Tarantino, like sort of in a weird combo but made this indie movie, it's just a bad mixture. It's just has a bad flavor. The thing. Right. Yeah. And, and also one thing I do have to say is, obviously the, the dialogue is written with sort of a lot of style, whether you, it works yeah. or not. It's like, it's going for a, a stylish, mm-hmm. you know, a heightened sense for the dialogue. And the visuals really do not complement that because mm-hmm. what, no. what drove me nuts in the opening scenes, the opening scene, uh, Zachary Quinto is at a bar just like sitting at a table waiting for someone. Sweating, nervous. Sweating. Uh, Carla Gugino like comes in and sits down next to him and starts talking like really like confidently and, and, and quickly and, he, yep. and he, he's waiting for someone and then uh, it, it turns out the person he is waiting for is her but he doesn't realize it because he's expecting a man. And anyway, so they're talking really fast and this is just a, you know, a two-person conversation. The simplest kind of scene, <laughs> like, like the most common scene in all of cinema. Yeah. Two people sitting in like one place talking and you know the rule about you know the thing in cinema about the line the 180 degree rule crossing the line crossing the line yeah yeah. where there is an invisible line between people and you with with the camera you always when you're shooting this you just keep the camera on one side so that one person is always on the left facing right the other person is on the right always facing left Mm -hmm. just to so that the 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 audience has like a spatial awareness of what is going on and, uh, and isn't disoriented somehow, somehow in this scene, despite the fact that no one gets up and moves, <laughs> it's, they just stay in the same place. It crosses the line so often yeah. because the scene, it uses three angles. It uses close up on Zachary Quinto, close up on Carl Gugino, mm-hmm. then a master shot shot from the other side of the table where we where they're on the other side other of the, sides? the frames and i'm like <laughs> how Whoopsie. how do you mess this up also you're shooting on super cheap cameras you can just buy three of the cameras set them up at the same time do shoot it all continuously uh limited budget man it's not it's not the fact that they could shoot unlimited footage it's the fact that they had a limited amount of time with these guys and they were expensive but that's what i'm saying yeah, yeah. shoot on three cameras at the same time and you can shoot faster and that's true. also yeah, I like this. I mean, I mean, this is not the movie's biggest issue, but right from the opening scene, I was, I was like, wow, there's like a, a basic level of competence to the filmmaking that I expect, and it's yeah. not there. Yeah. But there's also just, like you said, the, the look is also such that it, it, it's filmed on these sort of, you know, cheaper but more commercially available cameras. So it's got, I mean, it, it doesn't look bad. I, I, I always like the aesthetics of a yeah, bar. Yeah, I mean, it's all like dim bar lighting. A lot of a lot of like, like uh, neon signs sort of providing yeah, backlight. A lot, yeah. a lot of like red tinted lighting. Yeah, right. So you know, there's a sort of like natural source of fill light and edge light and all this kind of stuff, and like that sets a tone. And I just happen to be partial to the aesthetics of bars as someone who loves drinking. But like, <laughs> okay. uh, as a healthy person. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's more like. You were saying there's this stylized dialogue and there's this plot with, and right off the bat with like, 
a hired assassin and a man who wants to have his wife murked and like they're just discussing how to do it but there's a twist but then it's extremely banal and like mumblecorey and naturalistic in a lot of ways where people are just kind of like having a talk in a bar yeah and right i know i'm not trying to no such thing as like really like hard rules about this but like those two types of films don't generally work well together right right you know like the outsized almost like a guy Ritchie like crime drama snappy yeah. dialogue and stuff meets some slow meandering indie movie where people just sort of discuss bullshit and i think yeah. a really key thing to note here is that obviously you know there's a lot of tarantino vibes to the dialogue sure uh it's it's very wordy it moves really quickly everyone's very eloquent uh they love the sound of their own voices but <laughs> A key thing in Tarantino movies is in most of these long dialogue scenes, there's like a sense of danger. And yeah, they build to usually some sort of violent climax. Right, yeah. exactly. There, There is tension. Yeah. There, there is always the lingering threat of violence. And so that makes it really engaging because the, the dialogue is kind of like, it's sort of this like small, like simmering like battle, yeah. like building to this explosive climax. Yeah, what- and here, this is a... For a movie that involves criminals and... And undercover cops posing as assassins trying to get incriminating tape right. from a dentist. This movie that involves a lot of, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of shady wife. underworld figures. Yeah. And it's so nice. Like, no, there is almost never any tension between the people talking. They tend to often get along... And then if they're... Almost nobody hurts anybody else. I mean, obviously right. there's... And, but but even when they it's do, all about crime, every kinda. Con- yeah. Every conflict just kind of resolves itself really yeah. nicely. And and yeah, they're just kind of talking for the sake of talking. And the conversations tend to like not really go anywhere. I feel like like the one of the only times that it does is uh, a scene that I kind of enjoyed where uh, Carla Gugino is chatting with... Uh, Michelle Ryan and Alexis Bledel, right. uh, two strippers, and this guy, this like cl- uh, frequent. Uh, oh, that patron. douchey actor! Oh my yeah. god, he uh, has that line. Oh yeah, that this frequent patron of their strip club comes over, uh, starts like kind of hitting on them, and then Carl Gugino just pulls a gun on him under the table and gets him to leave him alone. And there's that like, and that scene, I just think I like. A lot of scenes in this movie have faded from my mind less than 24 hours after I watched it. Yeah. but that is when I remember. Because there is actually some tension, the scene actually goes somewhere. Yeah, somebody is threatened with getting their dick shot with right. a bullet. Well, they also cast a. I mean, a he's an outside douchey, an outside douchebag guy who comes up and he's like, "Hey, what's up, ladies?" And then he has maybe one of my favorite pickup lines of all time, which he just goes, "What's up, ladies? Hey, got a question for you. Uh, what winks and fucks like a tiger?" Uh-huh. And then he winks uh-huh. <laughs> and immediately sits down with them, even though they're saying, like, don't. That's I, that made me laugh a lot. Yeah. I think um, he said screws like a tiger because I don't think this is a, an R-rated movie. Oh, uh, maybe he just said. Man, this is a clean PG-13. I'm well, sorry, well, I mean, guys. Is this even MPAA rated? If you were worried that know. maybe your kids couldn't watch this with you, that was a mistake and you, they can still but, watch but it But, for instance, this is a clean TV-14, Matt. Well, yeah. Well, well consider that <laughs> okay. in, in my favorite moment in the whole yeah. movie... Um, We'll talk about it more later. Uh, the nudity is all censored. Oh, that was fun. Yeah, yeah. Th- that li- I, I had a chuckle. That that was the one time I th- I I like audibly laughed. Yeah. But let's jump back because. So yeah, so there. This woman who is posing as an assassin, she's an undercover cop. 
no, basically no, no, tells she's an ex-cop. Ex-cop. She's like a private detective. She is a private detective. Yeah. She's like Josh from I Come with the Rain. She's like now a private detective. Who having works been a for cop. Josh? It seems like Josh now character. works for Josh. Yeah, yeah. Josh is her superior. Um, Confusing because it, really, it seems like when she calls him that he's just her assassin boss. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Classic assassin boss. Um, and so she says, "Yes, we can." you know, murder your wife and I can get that set up. I just need a payment of $20,000. And he's like, oh, I don't have that, which I didn't buy because dentists are wealthy. <laughs> and uh, 20, <laughs> 20 k especially if you're already at the stage where you're like meeting with the assassin, yeah, I feel like, like you would have had that prep. Kill like, my wife, please. Like, of course, a large sum of money is going to be needed in order to pay off someone to or, murder another person. Or there's at least a down payment. You're and not- you're a dentist. You make... Tons of cash. And this is just based on not talking to any dentists, <laughs> but just sort of having a vague sense that people I've met who are dentists have nice things right. L- and like, houses. Yeah. Like small little contrivance there. Well, because then yeah. I realized that it has to set up the whole other thing where he then has to exactly. get the money because then he goes to Danny DeVito, a, a like sort of a very nice mob boss. This yes, movie super is super sweet. Everyone's nice. Yeah. Uh, but a just lot wa- of I just wanted to criminals. say, I just wish Sebastian Gutierrez did his dentist research, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, as well, someone that likes you know, teeth, he, you know, he did have the money, yeah. but he had like given it to Danny DeVito. Oh, it, oh, right, that is it, true. He gave it like, to Danny it's DeVito. It's not that he, he didn't owe ha- like he hadn't earned twenty thousand dollars. What's what's stupid is just <laughs> that that he's meeting with with this assassin, and uh, to like seal the deal, and yeah. doesn't have the money to pay right there when clearly you would. You would have that money. Why did you yeah. give it to Danny DeVito to launder? Or no, no, like, what for, did he do? for a different thing. Because yeah. he had been trying to get the money from Danny DeVito. Remember for like a few days, and he was and like, Danny DeVito wasn't returning calls, or yeah, you know, wasn't then, at his home. And then he goes to see Danny DeVito at another bar. Yeah. Uh, it's great that he knows that he's going to be there. And yeah. uh, and then he's like, Hey, can you get me that money? And Danny DeVito's like, I can get it tomorrow. And he's like, But if you want it now, go with my guy on this job. Yeah. Uh and and then you'll you'll get it. Yeah. And this also is kind of confusing to me. I mean just like ha- what how it was supposed to work because this job is basically go on a robbery. Yeah, with the guy to and a nudist. W- at, w- at what we learn well at at this strange place of work where uh. Rosario Dawson works. Yes. But what's odd about this is the robbery is basically just they just say give me just like yeah, it's some sort of like nudist club. Or, 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 or could, I it's a nudist ping pong. It's, it's a, a fetish club. club. Ping pong club. But we don't know that. It is a fetish. Like, yeah. We think it might be some sort of like just sex club. People are having orgies yeah. or what. Because Rosario Dawson just like works at the front desk and every people arrive, talk, chat with her, take off their Seem clothes. Seem very friendly when they yeah, chat with her. Like, like nobody seems like a creep. Yeah, they're all regulars And then she there. just puts their clothes in little like cubbies. Which felt very much like a, a standard indie thing. Yeah. That was a very indie movie moment. That whole thing with the ping pong, naked ping pong yeah, people it was. is like, it's like, oh, it's so quirky. Like, <laughs> she's just a normal greeter at this it's quirky. place. Yeah, it's quirky. You're laughing. <laughs> I mean, my, my favorite moment in the whole movie was just the reveal of all the naked, just like as you begin to hear the ping pong sounds. Yeah. Because like I genuinely thought, again, keep, I kept thinking this was going to be like a seedier movie than it was. Yeah. That it was going to, that it was just like some sort of like, everyone's like having an orgy or whatever. No, well, when I, I heard the ping pong balls, time. I thought it was that weird thing where women shoot ping pong balls out of their vagina. <laughs> That's what I, and I was like, they might do that. I don't know. Yeah. But then it was just like way more wholesome. They were yeah. all but just like just having the, just a good the time. Just the image of all these 
just a room full of naked people playing ping pong. That <laughs> yeah. was so silly. It was and... like a hippie commune. Yeah. Like just people sort of in the nude, but just because they're comfortable with their bodies, not because they're looking for any sort of weird sexual things. Right. But and how was this robbery supposed to get him the $20,000? Because all they're doing is taking the cell phones and like wallets of these yeah, people. Yeah, there's no control yeah. of how much they would take in, in that robbery. It seems also like a... Yeah. This does not seem like a sort of mob organized robbery. This seems like one desperate guy being like, like who's like wants drug money and it's like I'll rob that place. Yeah, the movie doesn't have a clear enough idea of like what Danny DeVito's goal is. Like, yes, he's a character that this dentist goes to and is like, give me twenty thousand dollars. I don't have it right now. Do this robbery at a nudist ping pong club <laughs> and you will have twenty thousand dollars from that. We promise. We I promise you. And then the guy is and like, the guy's like okay. give me the I th- what do you got there? Give me some of them wallets, and yeah. uh, I'll t- is that a watch? Honestly, right. the number of people that were in that room, like, just pretend they're all carrying a normal amount of money in their wallets, I guess right? the, the notion... There were 15 people in that room. Maybe more. But the notion was that, like, <laughs> they take off their clothes, yeah. so all he has to do, instead of pickpocketing, is steal oh, was... everyone's pants. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Which, bags by the way, and stuff. are in the cubbies... Outside of the ping pong yeah, room. Yeah, no one has lockers that they pay for. But they go into the ping pong room. They go right. past where all the pants and wallets are. And then the only really dangerous character in the whole movie, the other... The, the criminal like, that the dentist is... That Zachary Quinto is sent there yeah. with. He just decides to like order Rosario Dawson to take her clothes off. And yeah, because he's a creep. Because he's a creep. And uh, But it's like, beyond that... like uh, Anyway, then... like. I, conflict begins between them and well then well, no, call, the reason they get into a fight right is yeah. because one of the women at yes. the naked ping pong club is the dentist's wife the wife that he was trying to get the money to murder mm-hmm. and so they see each other he has a mask on over his face so she doesn't recognize him at first and she's there he doesn't know she's there she's yeah. playing ping pong with some other dude yeah in the nude oh, scandalous but then and the criminal is like, get over here. <laughs> get over here, like, you. Like he's Scorpion, Mortal Kombat. Yeah, get yeah. over here. And then she doesn't want to, obviously, and yeah. it's never clear. He's a very rapey character. He's gross. Yeah, uh, he's just, he just apparently wants to see everybody naked and do naked stuff. Yeah, he's like, there's one person here who's not naked. Uh, it, this is not complete unless everyone's naked. <laughs> he's Get a completionist. Naked. But there's also another person who is naked and just come over here. Why are you being so weird? <laughs> and then Zachary Quinto is like, no, but you're like, why is he getting so riled up? Yeah. And at why first you care about this random He's lady? just like, his de- human decency is maybe coming, flaring up or whatever. And he's like, just, I'm not here to be witness to some disgusting, you know, power trip. But then, yeah, you find out it's his wife and they... I she guess? recognizes his voice. And she basically just apologizes a lot for everything yeah. she's done, and then he forgives her, and they... They hug. They, they just kind of make up. I mean, th- this is a movie that, like... It it's keeps, a f- it, so feel-good. That's what, That's what's <laughs> weird, it, because it keeps being... going. It's, like, on the brink of becoming, like, a Tarantino movie or a Coen Brothers movie or venturing into, like, interesting, darker territory. And then it always retreats back to, now we're just kind of like a slice-of-life indie movie where nothing really happens. It's, like, it just becomes a, like, stereotypical, almost, yeah. like, parody of an indie movie yeah. each time. Like, the indie movies where it's just people talking about nothing and nothing happens. Yeah, right. And that's what it, it, then it returns to Which have to their that. place. Yeah. But not in the essentially bait-and-switch of a dark crime drama yeah. right. or like at least a dark comedy. Like, yeah, it's, it's just sucks. It's just like, <laughs> it's like, it's cuddly 
sociopaths and shitheads and criminals. Like you literally have a person who is ready to kill He's his gonna, wife. He was murder her forever. Spend twenty thousand dollars. Twenty thousand dollars to do it. Dead. They see each other, and she's butt naked playing ping pong. Yeah, and then recognizes his voice. He's got a robber's mask on, Doing and then just goes, what? "I'm sorry, I'm so mixed up inside. I don't know why I'm playing ping pong in the nude." And he's like, <laughs> "I forgive you. Do you forgive me for?" I don't. He doesn't even mention that he almost tried to kill her. So that's something that of they probably not. haven't. They, they don't even have that conversation. Right. Like, I mean, I almost tried to kill you. By the way, dot dot dot. They don't There's talk another about that. character in this movie who is going to get you pinned for wanting to do that, and your relationship will obviously be destroyed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you know what I think would be better than what this movie was? If it was all just set in one bar, and, just, and no one was like criminals and detectives and stuff like that. It was just, everyone was just kind of a normal person, and yeah. they just like had conversations. If, yeah. if, if, if you, you took away the like more interesting teases or the teases of like a more interesting movie. Yeah. And you just made it about people just like different little storylines all set in maybe one bar. Yeah. These people coming in and like their lives intersecting. You You know know who I think did that, but I don't remember. Um, I never saw it. Like Robert Altman. Uh, well yeah, it's a little Altman-y, but the, the movie that it was really reminding me of was, um, a movie I haven't seen cigarettes and coffee by Jim Jarmusch. I have Which made, is literally just I've five seen that one. scenes of people talking That's in just cafes little, little and shit. Like, vignettes. Yeah, right? those, those aren't even linked. But still, if you do that format with sort of these conversations and link them, and then have more of just like a thematic linking of the different conversations, say, that are happening I would have loved to see a tracking shot of one yeah. person fully get to the next bar even or something like that i mean i would also yeah. need a lot of other things to be different <laughs> right. but that like little connective moment where you just see someone i mean especially if you're going to showcase la bars like the other problem i had with this is you know aside from feeling that the like writer was essentially like really getting off on his ability to write words and and make and make uh semantics jokes and all this bullshit yeah is that like you know the the what I what the feeling I got was that, and this might not be true. He might be very successful, but like he just was frustrated and drinking a lot in L.A., not selling scripts, and he was in all of these bars and like <laughs> Sebastian, he's just, Gutierrez. yeah, Sebastian Gutierrez, and he's just like drunk and he's just like in Bar Lubitsch or whatever bar, and he's just like yeah, and then. And then, the, and then in this bar, another and then a they guy. The there's another bar. guy, and he was just got out of prison. And he's meeting his daughter, and then he's like, I'm a genius. Yeah. And then he just starts writing it down. And then, like, by the time he's been drunk in, like, every bar in L.A., he's like, I have a script. Yeah, I, I better this. write something down. The thing See, is, Sebastian Gutierrez actually had, like, a lot of movies under his belt. He's actually re- relatively successful. Well, one thing I think is... I'm shit-talking fu- someone I don't know that well. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I, I haven't seen well any of his movies. But what I do think is funny is he has written the screenplays for a bunch of random Hollywood movies. Mm-hmm. Like, he wrote the 2003 uh, Halle Berry thriller Gothica. And then he <laughs> wrote the, uh, what, the... And then the following year... He, Gothica. He, I know. Uh, he wrote the, the screenplay for the, uh, the Owen Wilson crime <laughs> comedy The Big Bounce, based on the Elmore Leonard novel. Then he wrote... The Bouncy uh, Castle. Uh, he, then he wrote Snakes on a Plane. What? Yeah, he wrote Snakes on a Plane. Uh, he wrote the script for, in 2008, the script for the uh, uh, Jessica Alba starring J-horror remake The Eye. And those are just things, uh. that, those, but those are just like work for hire things. Because yeah. directing-wise, uh, the, the key thing is he, 
um, he directed some random things, but then in uh, 2009, he made the, again, sort of like interconnected story movie Women in Trouble, starring, right. again, Carla Gugino. Right. And then that, then the, then 2010, the following year, the sort of spin-off movie of that, Electra Lux, uh, a movie about Carla Gugino's character from Women in, uh, Women in Trouble. Women in Trouble. And then made this the following year. So, so he, he, he's got... He's made a, a bunch of movies. He's like a, re- a reasonably successful screenwriter. But and loves this particular format, it seems yes. like. But what, so it, the here's format my, of vignettes? Vignette, low budget. Yeah, yeah, but here is my theory about this movie. Okay. Because I think this is even smaller than his other ones. Sounds like a lot of L.A. people smelling their own farts. <laughs> so uh, so yeah. my, the- my theory with this movie is because it has its, its weird... Um, actually, I'm looking at this now. Women in Trouble cost fifty thousand dollars. Nice. Yeah. This nice mo- job, dude. This movie. Sad. Co- eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I. I. This movie, on the other hand, cost a million. <laughs> well, which it, is, is it because of the actors? Did he get like a must. little bit of a step Pro- up? Probably the actors. But come on, Danny DeVito is not cheap. Not at that point. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, actually, that's a Danny DeVito seems like a guy who would just do things for, like for free for fun. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. That I was mean, his always no, sunny. Yeah. rationale almost you know yeah I, yeah I mean he he gave uh, a bunch of money to my college just so they could open this new movie theater yeah no um, no no disrespect to danny devito who seems actually similar to josh in that he just will take kind of interesting small yeah. projects and anyway. i sat next to his son in class in one class and we barely ever really talked he's got a daughter i think who went to northwestern as well ah mm-hmm. i don't know what her name is his son's name is jake Jake DeVito? Jake DeVito? They both look like Danny DeVito. Jake DeVito. <laughs> I'm Jake DeVito. What's yeah. up, Patrick? He, I mean, Have you tried this ham? It's got rums in it. It's soaked with rum. <laughs> so my feeling about this movie is because it has its funny you know, thing where it's like, it was like made to be released online and stuff right. like that. My guess was this came together... Like My guess is like YouTube or whatever company like uh, put this together was just like, hey, you want to do this thing? And he's like... Yeah, sure. Give me a week, and in a week, <laughs> he just like threw together, just like just like just wrote a first draft and just yeah, like Sorkin style, just coked out. Exactly. Here we go, and uh, we'll we'll put in my we'll, we'll put my girlfriend in it, and we'll get a bunch of our famous friends to show up. Yeah, and then yeah. the company was like, sure, whatever. Yeah, you you got you got Josh Hart. You got it, buddy. And, the, and then these, they were reading the script. They're like, I mean, this is great. There's so many words. I want to know how Josh Hartnett got personally I, roped into this movie. Well, there's one way we can definitely find out. Talk get, get on the to show. Him. Josh, if you're listening, I know we've said this a lot and we're going to keep saying it every single episode. Please come on the podcast. We want to talk to you so bad. It's like shouting at a God who will not <sighs> listen to your prayers. <laughs> An indifferent God. An indifferent to God. A cold we, God. Why we, did you pick Girl Walks into a Bar? Did you just know Sebastian Gutierrez? Uh, Are you? Was it Rosario Dawson? Was she like, dude, I'm working on this new little thing. It should be fun. Just yeah. show up. It's kind of interesting. Was it convenient? Were you like just in LA and it would only be a day? Did you just walk into the bar Actually, that they I'm, were I'm shooting in? I'm pretty sure that, that yeah, was it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, convenient. Yeah, well, was it just convenient to your schedule? Well, otherwise? it is also a block from your house. Oh, <laughs> sick, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, how much money? Yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, I, wait, wait, wait. I can't uh, do we braces. know who Josh was dating at the time? I don't know. This is 2010, 11, Josh, so. Yeah, this was 2010. Yeah. Because uh, w- w- was, 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 was this post-ScarJo? Yeah. 
Must have been. ScarJo, I think he only dated for a couple years, like, after Black Dahlia, so that was probably 2006 Jake, or 7. Go- Google this. I know, I'm looking. Go- I'm going to look. Jake, you're not typing fast enough. Josh Hartnett. Jake, Jake you have two hands. hands. Yeah, you're pecking Jake, you have two hands. I, I just, it's, like an old person. My computer's at a weird angle. So, the, Why'd your the voice key thing get is, like Josh that? Hartnett, please come on the podcast. We just want to talk to you about this. We're curious about what this is like. And also, we should say, coming up later in the episode... We have some special insight into the production of this yeah. film. Yeah. So because uh, a friend of the podcast worked on the film, so we're gonna we're Would gonna get what? some first-hand knowledge of what it was like making this oh, movie. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, but I'm 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 really curious how Josh Ugh. got involved in this. And um, so yeah, so Josh, if you're listening, please come on the podcast. You guys want to go full gossip mag right now? Yes. All right. So yes. There, also, forgot- Josh, Josh, don't listen to this part. We're going to talk about your personal life, and I'm sorry, but it has to be done. I'm sorry, but like literally, <laughs> there's a website called whosdatedwho.com. So, take, in, take this with a grain of salt. I don't know what the fuck this website is. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like maybe 25% of it is lies. Okay? So, we're going to go through it, though. 2011, Josh dated, was dating uh, a woman named Sophie Lee. Hmm. Interesting. But actually, let's 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 back up even further. Uh, we can talk about 1997 to 1998. Josh was dating Laura Harris. <laughs> I don't even know some of these people. This, feels this bad. website feels creepy. Wait, yeah. sorry, Sophie Lee, the Australian film stage and television actress, because she is ten years older than Josh. Interesting. Well, so he dated Scarlett Johansson from 2005 to 2007. Uh, he dated Rihanna in 2007. And they found love in a hopeless place. <laughs> yeah, every song Rihanna's ever written is uh, about Josh. Uh, yeah, because uh, the, the reason their relationship worked is that he treated her like she was the only girl in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Josh dated Rihanna, but the relationship, it ended up just being work, 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 work. <laughs> <laughs> it's still good. And no longer did they shine bright like a diamond. Yeah, mm-hmm. umbrella. So, so he was. Uh, <laughs> so here we go. Some, some. We went full People magazine just this moment, and Josh was dating Sophie Lee. Everybody, Sophie Lee. This is and this website could be fake. <laughs> this is fascinating. Um, oh wait, no, this must be a different person because this Sophie Lee, who, who I found on Wikipedia, got married in two thousand two. Um, okay, I'm gonna, scandalous. I'm searching uh, Sophie Lee, Josh Hartnett. Uh, oh, oh, it's wait, you mean Sophia Lee? L I E? Yeah, it's Sophia. Oh, sorry, Sophia Lee. Okay, who is Sophia Lee? She is a model. It looks like. Yeah, I think that's makes it. sense. Guys, I'm, she has an Instagram. I'm looking her up on Instagram right now. <laughs> oh my um, god, guys, this is gonna come as a shock to you, but Sophia Lee. Is beautiful. Attractive. Attractive. Wait, hold person. on. I'm going to go off mic just to take a look. Damn. <laughs> Damn, dude. <laughs> and this comes as a shock because Josh, Josh Hartnett does not a very handsome man. You know what? Like, uh, I know. Not a lot going on there. Yeah. I put him in the same category as Danny DeVito. <laughs> And, oh God! Uh, I'm I'm finding pictures Paul of Paul Giamatti. I'm finding pictures now of Josh Hartnett and Sophia Lee together. I'm just like, God damn it! They're just, I feel like a just piece of shit now. Just this I'm a disgusting, piece of shit. disgusting, <laughs> disgusting <laughs> garden. Oh God, they're too 
attractive. That's the one thing we, we were, Pat, we were talking about this. We're worried like, oh, if Josh Hartnett comes on the podcast, we're literally going to be like three troglodytes sitting next to this beautiful man. <laughs> and, like, and you know that we'll get up, we'll have a picture of the four of us. And he's going to be taller. Towering over us. <laughs> better than all of us. Perfect skin. <laughs> looking younger than us. Yeah. That's like the placebo effect's going to happen like on mic too, where suddenly like Josh is there. He's like, hey guys, like what's going on? And we're just like, are you sure in your movies? <laughs> I love the movies you do in your... He's so handsome, <laughs> and it's just like, ugh. I guess I don't like them at yeah. all. The hosts, <laughs> the hosts seem terrible. Yeah. I just needed like a better person to, to be like in- also in the vicinity. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I want Josh to come on the podcast. I, I really do. And one of our questions will be like, like, why did you get into Girl Walks in a Bar? And like, what's the deal with Sophia Lee? And was, was so is she nice? So Zachary Quinto's storyline is wrapped up. Yeah, guys, remember when Zachary Quinto played Siler on the show Heroes? Absolutely not, Patrick. I tell us more. <laughs> remember when Heroes was a thing? Yes, I that, do remember that, that. That first season where it was yeah. the hottest new show, and then the second season when everyone realized they didn't like it. Because I remember <laughs> that all those feelings. I never, never watched like a steep Heroes. Ratings drop off, and everybody went boo. Yeah, I mean, I. I recall Not funny. <laughs> no. I recall thinking it was pretty fun the first season, but it was also just a conglomerate of like just a million storylines from different comic books I'd already read. Um, so it's the kind of thing I'm like, I get why people who aren't comic book nerds are really excited about this, but I've kind of I have seen it all before. But it was like still solid. Yeah. But I remember it had kind of an underwhelming first season finale, but he was Zachary Quinto was the big villain of the show. That was like his mm. breakout role. He was Siler. And uh, wow. and then and he dies in the finale, and then cut to <laughs> first episode of season two. Oh, he's alive, but oh. he has amnesia, and he's in Mexico. And that was kind of the first tip of maybe this <laughs> maybe this isn't good anymore. Because, maybe the show sucks dick. Yeah, <laughs> no. because this is like I I liked him, but no, like you've lost me by by him being around. Yeah, uh, but he does a good job with his character in this movie. No, no, of. Zachary Quinto is a good. I mean, he's great as Spock in the, yeah, the yeah. Star Trek movies. Well, also let me say, the acting is not what I had a problem with. Again, it was the writing. Yeah, yes, it I was mean, people who had. Big old mouthfuls of dumb words to say yeah. constantly. Yeah. And yeah, I thought all the actors did what they could. <laughs> but and, and I think part of why this movie didn't bother me very much is like even if the script is right. nonsense and the directing is bland, you still just... Well, but it's like you've got a bunch of good actors just talking the whole yeah. time. And it's like it's they're all watchable. Yeah. And yeah. But it, it's annoying because you, you see stuff like this and you're like... The one thing, right, they like say in defense of... The old black and white movies that no one watches is like things are very dialogue centric yeah. and like character acting and like sort of psychological dynamics and people talking in different, you know, sitting rooms and stuff. Right. Like comprised a movie. And that was what was quote unquote boring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there was always there was like a plot kind of going, especially in like old noir stuff and like which is always which is another thing that I think this kind of like tips its cap to. Yeah. Without having any sort of, yeah, like you said, driving plot. There's these just like coincidental things that happen and you get, and then storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, and, and it teases you with like, oh, if, if this developed, it would be a more interesting movie, but it won't. Like, I like seeing, uh, what's his face from Twin Peaks, the, uh, the old mm. g- dad out of jail. Oh, Robert Forster. Yeah. Oh, Robert, yeah, I mean, yeah, Robert yeah. Forster 
has always been great. Like, in fact, he's, he's been in a Tarantino movie, right? Wasn't he in Jackie, Jackie Brown? Brown? Jackie he's Brown, great. Yeah. yeah, and I think he got an Oscar nomination for uh, for Jackie Brown. Yeah. Like, he's just a guy who is innately interesting and fun to watch do stuff on screen. So, like, it's not, yeah, like you said, it's not like I disliked. He was also the only one who kind of slowed down because he's Robert Forster and he just delivers things in a slower, more intense right. He's way. like the, I mean, obviously Danny DeVito is, is another one. He's but, the other but highlight. Robert Forster felt like the, like the, uh, like the OG kind of just old, we got the old school actor in here and just give him his space. And yeah. let him draw his scene out. You know, and he's right. just doing something weird, like he's yeah. watching two girls dance, and he's, he's actually just creepy. And then yeah, he is just his, kind of a creep. But. His kids come in. Yeah. His daughter immediately turns away and storms out because his kids are Emmanuel uh, Emmanuel Shrieky and Aaron Tiviot. Yep. And uh, he, of course, being big Broadway star. Yeah. Uh, also notably played Trip Vanderbilt on Gossip Girl, yeah. who mm-hmm. dated Serena Vanderwoodson. And uh, and which was he was a rising young potential politician, and everyone was like, "Serena, don't date him." And she's like, "I I, I won't. It's okay." And then Politics she did. will always be first for him. Ugh, it, that was uh, a, my first love. Is pu- the um is the, the but public? He 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 definitely like looks the part of sort of almost like a like a young Kennedy type type person. He does. But uh, but he's also he was in the the Les Mis movie. Mm. Um, uh, he, with Hugh Jackman. Yeah, nice. he, he was Jack one of the Man like the like you know uh, like student the French revolutionary guys, and uh, and then we he will nip him in the bud, and then he gets shot and killed. <laughs> that is for years. That is the line yeah. you say. Russell Crowe singing, <laughs> "We will crush this revolution. We will nip it in the bud. <laughs> we will murder these dumb schoolboys. They will wet themselves with blood." <laughs> That's Wet dis- themselves with blood. What I a disgusting just line. But, it was nasty. Uh, for those of you wondering, uh, Jake will be performing nasty. a one-man show of Russell Crowe's part from Les Mis. <laughs> the part uh, everybody hated, even uh, the people that liked that movie. He'll be, he'll be in isolation. On, yeah. uh, he'll be just in Central Park, random days. Just go there, try to find him. Just Give- wait. And at the end, I jump off the bridge and my neck snaps <laughs> on the rocks. And it's really loud and crunchy. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. And uh, Aaron Tiviet But was, he does uh, it like three times a week. Somehow. <laughs> exactly. Uh, find out how. Find Jake in Central Park, and uh, it's, just the, it's just the prestige. Like you keep cloning yourself and murdering yourself for this stupid public performance, stupid one man performance. Lame is, but you believe so strongly in it. Yeah, yeah. But I, it's all right. Yeah, but yeah. So, but Aaron Tiviot is Robert Forster's son, and yeah. then he hangs out and talks to him a bit, and then Robert Forster's just gone from the movie, right? Well, Robert Forster, we'll just say his one, which I thought was funny. He basically has a big giant monologue to his son yeah. about relationships yep and marriage and how to make relationships last and his big profound advice right at the end they build the whole scene up and he, and his son's just like what and he's like i only have one thing that i need you to take away about relationships and his son goes what is it and robert forrester goes never let her smell your poop <laughs> that's it and he and gives like him a, a t- pack of matches oh a pack of matches <laughs> so he's he like light him after he poops <laughs> I laughed really hard at that, that oh, and, and um, then his I, son I, is like that's it and he's like that's it and he gets yeah. up and leaves alright dad I, 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 I wrote it down you just never never let her smell your poop <laughs> and he Robert Forster says the word poop and if nothing else the movie it is good for that has, has that yeah a, that is a special moment in this film yeah but and then it, it it's it's weird. I mean, like so little happens in this movie. Like, well, there's uh, a lot of like little connecting threads and stuff with other characters that were yeah. But not it's just this, about, like it's just like the late. It's just like the weakest connections to like constitute 
the quote unquote clever interweaving plot. Yeah. Right. Because obviously Zachary Quinto decides he doesn't want to murder his wife. Also, Danny DeVito does not come back. And so then there is. Robert Forster doesn't come back. You know, the uh, kind of highlights. Carla Gugino's plot line does continue on a little bit. I mean, she meets with the ex-husband. Her ex-husband. Who is also, uh, who is that? I I can't remember. He was kind of nice. But again, it was one of these things. <laughs> Everyone's that, nice. But yeah, it was again, it was the things like kind of maybe nice. he's going to fight everybody and there's going to be a big bar fight in this cop bar that they go to. And instead it's like, you know what? I've been I've been going to Buddhist meditations or whatever recently well, like yeah. I'm working and on my anger. Here's two I scenes that we didn't talk about though that I did enjoy, which is Emmanuel Shrieky's solo scene where you get to know her. And oh, she where has she like her arrives in the club and with her voiceover monologue. With her voiceover monologue and she does uh, uh, the dance for a bunch of gentlemen and then she basically just explains the background of each gentleman sitting out in the bar and, and why specifically they're super douchey. I, 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 I did not like that. I didn't like it, but I, I got... Here's why I didn't mind it. I just thought it was like one of these things where, you know, the movie's trying to be cutesy and I had already gotten that mm-hmm. at this point. I had very quickly abandoned the fact that despite the plot of like uh, attempted assassinations and crime lords... That they weren't actually going to try and be serious about it. This is the cutesiest it goes. This is super, super cutesy. So she explains why all these guys are douchebags. And presumably, as you're listening to her monologue, she's doing the, uh, her strip dance. And then... But you don't but see... She, you that, don't like, see her. It, like, it cuts to like a different reality where she's dressed in different clothing and she's talking to the camera. Yeah. Uh, she and she's kind of doing time, like a says. dance that yeah. she actually, it seems like secretly wants to do, which is some sort of magician cabaret act. Yeah. That's what made me laugh was that she's like in her mind doing the performance that she actually would well, love to do. I think she do. sees herself as, as a magician in that like the amazing yeah. blah, blah, blah can like know what's in the hearts of men, the men yeah. she sees like while doing this and know how to like know why they're there and what motivations right. they have. Well, I don't know. I kind of like that scene just because it jumped out of reality into somebody's head so right. thoroughly. I get but that. the other scene, and this is very important. I will say, uh, can I just say one last thing yeah. about that other one? It is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the only time, like, she suddenly, like, enters the movie with her own voiceover narration, kind of, like, becomes, yep. like, the, a, a new protagonist. That doesn't happen with anyone else. Yes, it does. Wait, does it? It happens with Joshua Hartnett. Oh, oh my, yes. His oh, one, oh his God, one right. big scene in the movie, which is the other one I wanted to talk about. Oh, yeah. And it also enters into his head right. for that scene. He meets with Rosario Dawson. At a bar. At a bar. Well, obviously. And it's um, the aftermath. She walks into it. She, she walks into it. He walks into it, too. <laughs> wow, it's well, the movie. It's a bar. Swiss watch of a movie. Josh oh, yeah. walks into a bar. Yeah. And, uh, and he's there basically to, this is after the attempted heist at the nude ping pong place mm-hmm. and Rosario Dawson needs to speak with the police or I guess in this case yeah, the head his, of a private detective agency I was a little disturbed it's unclear what Josh's I was wondering if he just like role is really was just l- lurking around various places in LA and was like ooh look at this distressed woman I'm gonna go go in go and, give and her some drinks and like you know be a shoulder to lean on I mean what it seems like he's doing is sort of downloading with her what happened and trying to piece it together presumably yeah, posing as I was confused police. that the scene was happening I thought he was just kind of bummed out that the operation kind of fell apart because yeah. uh, you know she's uh, he, uh, Zachary Quinto doesn't want to kill his wife anymore so it's like what are they even really doing anymore and uh, um, she does get her wallet back right Carla Gugino yeah yeah but uh, but yeah but also like 
so they're private. So they're private oh, detectives. Eugenia loses her wallet. Everybody, by the uh, way. Yeah, Evan Tivy. Henry steals it steals because it. he's a pickpocket but, who pretends to be good at photography to charm women. But he is actually kind of good at photography. You never see the photography, and in the <laughs> end, it turns out he's actually just nice. He's actually just a nice guy. Like everyone is. Yeah. Right. Everyone fucking is. But but like who hired? <laughs> so so they're private detectives, and like yeah. she's posing as an assassin to try to catch. Zachary Quinn, she's like recording him saying that he wants to kill his wife. But like, who hired them? Like, what is their goal? They seem like grifters themselves. Or they seem like they could just be cops. Yeah. But they're, they keep saying they're ex-cops. Yeah. Why aren't they just cops? Oh, Sebastian like, wrote this in a week. Yeah. I think they're P. I think they're <laughs> For like, YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> like, even the like scene transitions feel like. You clicking on part one of three, part two of three <laughs> yeah. on like a, a YouTube, you know, channel or whatever. Right. Yeah. It feels like a web series that was just mushed together into like feature length. Because right yeah. yeah, the cuts between scenes hold for slightly longer than you would expect for like a normal movie. Yeah, with they edits. fade to black, and, and then it they show you a few like time lapse shots of like nighttime LA. Yeah, it sucks, man. And and that that stupid that like dumb. I mean, I don't know the the, the yeah the dancer sequence. Where she's like describing, you know, the darkness in the hearts of these different men. You're right. You might have like resigned yourself, but I guess my <laughs> d- different state of mind was that I basically knew what I was looking at, watching at this point. Right. And then to see this extra thing, this go this extra mile to try and entertain me. And I was already a little grumple stiltskin. Are you not entertained? Like just trying no. to be like you. You what? You're not gonna laugh at this cheeky thing? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and like it also it thinks it's being very clever and it's being also really obvious with what it's saying. It's like yeah. these men at the strip club are really all kind of shitty. Yeah, oh, like yeah. this guy's like, cheating on his wife. They're closeted as opposed to all the usual like, nice like, men that go to strip clubs. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. Who yeah. cares? Right, no, but, right. I, but I think. Not that I'm an expert on people who go to strip clubs, but I've seen, I've like watched other movies and read other <laughs> read books just where it's like you have, there's like a, there's, they do more with, with the characters, like men who frequent strip clubs. Like yeah. it's like fulfilling different like needs for yeah. them or something like that. It's like you can dig deeper and like explore more of like what the compulsion of these men to go there. And than like just what, saying, look at all these different flavors of douchebag. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But it has to be 80 minutes and you know, you got to, this was clearly just another thing for time filler that, you know, Gutierrez just was like, this is fun. Like, I'm, this is clever and fun. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, I'm and at again, another bar drinking and I'm having snorting a good time. cocaine and I'm just like, what else could I do? I'm right. having fun. But, Are you guys having fun? But Jake, you I'm wanted to talk fun. about that, the big scene with uh, Josh and Rosario Joshua Dawson. Josh Daniel Hartnett. Yeah. Because this is the other scene in the movie where you sort of enter into the mind of the character yeah. that's there. And this is, you know, Josh has had one other phone conversation in this movie so this is the first scene that he's I in think two maybe two phone conversations yeah. in a car and then on a, in a booth or something right or out in the street and then so this is the first scene we've had where he's really working off of another actress um it's rosario dawson in this case he's acting and he's acting <laughs> and uh, and they're finally together after finally being together. separated in, in sin city mm-hmm and, um, yeah, so he's there, I guess you're right, for sort of unclear reasons, despite the fact that he's the head of a private detective agency, maybe, but they don't make it totally clear what his reasons behind, you know, necessarily speaking with the woman who runs the front desk of this nudist ping pong club. Well, he was just following so, Zachary Quinto and I yeah. think, like, happened upon this car because he was, like, trailing him. Right. So, anyways, they're sitting together, and I guess since he doesn't have anything to do... 
relating to his job anymore. So he's just like, I guess the night's over. So I'm just going to get a drink at this bar and chat with Rosario Dawson for a little bit. And as they're talking, he just slowly realizes in the span of a what seems like a three-minute conversation that he's falling in love with her. <laughs> it's like he has the shocking revelation that Rosario Dawson is like actually like really likable and attractive. Yeah, she's beautiful. Like, but they, they make shocker. Yeah. Uh, but they do the annoying thing where part of what that why that's true for him in the scene seems to be because she starts to slowly be a manic pixie dream girl. She starts oh, yeah. to get a little quirky and then <laughs> talk about zany things in a sort of incoherent manner that's like charming and yeah. right. God forbid thinking. they could actually like have a connection of some kind when they yeah. they've both like she's had this like semi traumatic night and he's had a, just a disappointing night uh, because this sting operation Didn't is now work. meaningless and uh, and you know they're they, but they both had weird nights that you could see how they could actually connect. I yeah. guess over she's something. she's sort of like post near death experience manic and i guess that's like probably what she was tasked with representing because then she starts dancing and takes her underwear off she's like i'm not wearing underwear and i'm just like oh, josh once again the son of stoddard strikes again <laughs> <laughs> and also he does he does like he, the 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 female bartender has to basically push him toward like you know pursuing her right instead of being disgusted or like just like rolling her eyes, which I feel like most bartenders are. Yeah. Just like Jesus Christ. Just another drunk patron. Sloppy people at my yeah. place of work. Also, why is Josh so bummed out? He what is his inner monologue about? Like he's like because he delivers this really weird, canned uh, affirmation to Rosario Dawson, Whoa. which is why she then starts making out with him. His monologue is sort of about how his day to day feels empty a lot of the time. And uh-huh. that he's never really felt any source of meaning in his life. And so Rosario Dawson, just in her weird little couple sentences of Manic Pixie Dream Girl spontaneity, <laughs> sparks yep. something in him that I guess he's never felt before. Once and then again, it triggers this internal a fire of life in a, in yeah. a downtrodden man. <laughs> yeah. And, and, it, and it, it inspires this weird little internal fantasy where mm. the bar disappears momentarily and the room goes white. And then he's just dancing with her well it's just like different like weird like dreamy close-ups of her mouth smiling and saying i love you and her in like a a nice a different dress and like Mm -hmm. yeah and then he goes like then he like cuts back to the bar in reality and the bartender's like listen man you go dance with her like all the signals are there it's good she literally took off her underpants and then she and and then he's like i don't think that's true and then she's like yells i took off my underwear yeah. Cut to raucous laughter from the audience. Huge <laughs> laugh line. I was just rolling on the floor. Yeah. I was bowled over. As I mean, that's the. I mean, how more obvious can you get? Pretty funny. And then um, <laughs> he goes up to her and he says some weird shit. Like he grabs her on, with both on both shoulders and like looks her in the eye and is like, "Don't let anyone tell you that you know you." Are any less than you are than a wonderful, person. beautiful person and creature on this planet, and you can do whatever you want. And everyone should respect the beautiful, unique spark of life <laughs> that I see in you. And you need to see that for yourself. And then he like turns to leave, and I'm like, first of all, what the fuck was that? <laughs> yeah, every uh, woman would think run that's away. Terrifying. Yeah. yeah, that's not what you do. I've tried it a hundred times. <laughs> <laughs> It always leads in people zero for a hundred at, at least leaving. Uh, <laughs> but um, they kiss and probably smash. 
Yeah. Well, they kiss, and then it sort of tastefully cuts to another, fades out, and then we're like, oh, I guess another vignette. And then, and then we're at the cop bar, and they're trying to get a photograph from, what's her face again? The detective, female detective. Carla Gugino. Gugino. Yeah, they're trying to get... who has an, uh, Whose character has a name... That, Francine, uh, Francine Driver. Yes, Francine Driver, and she, but like she want, needs to go to this cop bar and enlists the help of Henry and uh, his sister, and uh, they successfully pickpocket him, and yeah. he's just this nice guy. Actually, another one of the more funny, I think, converse like coffee and cigarette style conversations in a, in a mostly static shot uh, is that the husband character and his friend from the force talk, just talking about like bimbos oh yeah it like reads kind of funny and honest like they're just two gross dudes talking about chasing tail and <laughs> you know chicks and stuff and they're gross and then uh and then they come and he gets pickpocketed and you think there's gonna be a fight or something and you're gonna find out what the picture is or whatever but everybody's nice. Everyone's nice, and nothing happens, and you don't see the picture. <laughs> <laughs> and then cut to black. And then, no, and, and then cut to them just dancing. Oh, right, dancing. Roll credits. Roll credits. That's it. Guys, should we make t-shirts that say roll credits? I think so. And then with just, like, some sort of stylized picture. Yeah, of by the way, listeners, uh, if you missed last episode, remember, we have... There are We Heart Hartnett shirts available now. Yeah. You can buy at teespring.com slash stores slash Patrick H. Willems. Mm-hmm. They're pretty cool. Nice, dude. And, uh, Organic as hell. But uh, And uh, <laughs> feel free to... Uh, if you, if you, There are other shirts based on the show that, that right. you think we should make. Just let us know. And we might make that happen. Yeah, yeah. You guys are funny, too. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all are funny. Y'all are funny. And uh, also, and we know that, that we are funny, hilarious actually. and have many, many like riotous, uh, like uh, running jokes through this podcast that everyone <laughs> loves that I just can't remember off the top of my head mm. other than real credits. Yes. Yeah. I'm feeling a little tired oh, today. Actually, <laughs> actually that, that said, this I, movie made me feel tired. We should make sure to just say, uh, you're going to be begging for an onion. <laughs> Honestly, I'm down. I, I wanted, that. I just want that for my own personal wearing <laughs> just just uh sean penn's face from that scene in in gangster squad but with an onion like close to his lips like it's like about to get into his mouth <laughs> and then just a blooming onion just on the back <laughs> it's, it's great because it's not even a joke it's not a joke it doesn't make sense but it's, it's nonsense funny yeah i uh, so guys is, is there anything else to talk about with this movie because like it's it, th- there's just not much there it just happens no. and fizzles out i mean the way this episode feels like it's going is, again, analogous to how the film kind of feels. It's just yeah. like we talk about different isolated scenes that have the barest of threads plot-wise, and then it just sort of ends. I'm, I'm trying to figure out, like, what is this movie trying to say? Not, absolutely nothing. Like, is there is there any subtext we can really, like, draw from it other than... Everyone's actually kind of an okay person. Yeah, man, uh, life can be crazy, but you know, it tends to like sort itself out. Right. Yeah. Um, in, in the, the end, end, everything always seems to kind of work out, huh? Yeah. Especially if you're just like, man, that LA nightlife, and you're just getting a couple drinks. Yeah. Especially I, if you're an actor and you're just you're doing good and you're just going to bars in LA. Exactly. Yeah. And I and I, I can brewskies. tell that that uh, Sebastian Gutierrez like loves his girlfriend. He loves and Carla Gugino. I guess that's nice. Yeah, <laughs> very they, sweet. They they seem to have an, a nice ongoing collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Listen, just a lot of my shit talking. It is it is directed solely at the film, 
and people's characters portrayed in the film and not anybody necessarily, unless I say yeah, otherwise. Good, again, again, good cast. <laughs> Except for <Yeah>. Gutierrez. <laughs> yeah. Because you wrote it and filmed it. Some culpability, culpability needs to fall on somebody. But yes, we, and, and, uh, and of course, there, the movie is significant because it was the first movie made for, for internet distribution. Yeah. And, uh, and now there is a whole lot. But guys, what I think, since there isn't much more to say about the finished product, mm-hmm. I think now we've got to talk about the making of this film mm. because a friend of mine, Justin Kizan, worked on this film as the head production, uh, sorry, the key production assistant hey. in 2010. And because we have a really low-tech recording set up here, we're not set up to have guests who are not here in person <laughs> with us. Yeah, you can't Skype in. Yeah, we, we aren't that technologically advanced Mm -mm. and uh so what we did um i just sent justin over some questions and he recorded answers to them telling us about what it was like how he ended up working on this movie what he did on the movie what the production was like and most importantly what it was like interacting with our boy josh i'm so curious so right now we are just gonna turn this over to justin to, uh, to give us some insight about Girl Walks Into a Bar. Hi, Justin, by the way. I'm Jake. Take it away, my friend. Yeah. Hey, we Heart HeartNet fans. Uh, my name is uh, Justin Kizan, and I worked on the film Girl Walks Into a Bar, which features Josh Hartnett. That's why you guys are talking about it. Anyway, um, yes, I worked on this film back in 2010, and uh, since I have this sort of unique experience, I'm here to kind of tell you about what the production of the film was like and uh, give you some little insight on how a film like this was made, especially because it was such a low-budget movie. The hosts of the show have sent me some questions, so I will go ahead and answer them and uh, let's see how well I can remember uh, 2010. Okay, so question one. How did you end up working on the movie? Uh, the One of the producers of the film... Uh, I went to film school with her, and I even helped out on her uh, graduation film, which she wrote and directed. So she contacted me and said, hey, uh, do you want to be a PA on this production assistant? And at the time, that was my primary source of income, was being a freelance production assistant on television and in movies. Uh, a lot of low-budget movies, a lot of uh, reality shows in terms of television, so nothing super exciting. Um, so yeah, she brought me in and, uh, definitely was the first PA brought on to the film. Uh, what was your role on set? Okay. So like I said, I was a PA. Now, funny enough, I, if you look me up on IMDb, uh, you will see me credited as key production assistant, which is a term that does not exist beyond this film. It was a, it was a, it was a credit that they came up with because they uh, felt like I earned it. Um, pretty, well, pretty much, I was the one consistent PA from the first day of production uh, down to the final day's production. So I was the only one who was there from pre-production to uh, uh, location scouting to um, uh, to even finally even dropping... Like, my last act on the film was literally... Uh, dropping up the check to the, the post-production house. So I was there from very much the, the beginning to the end. 
Um, so they, you know, the producer who got me on, she felt like you've earned something more than just a PA. And, uh, we, they said like, we're going to credit you as key PA, which I'm like, that sounds nice. And I mean, it, it ended up never like leading me to another job, but I mean, that, you know, if you look at my credits, that's, that's kind of neat. Uh, what was the production like? It was, it was actually a lot of fun, surprisingly enough for a film that was as low budget as this, it was actually a, a fun production. I had some really um, interesting experiences and some specifically on location scouting. Um, there are plenty of stories I can tell about about some of those locations and how we, uh, especially with the, the strip club. Um, but I feel like that's not what your show's about. You don't want to really have me go into those stories too much. But it was... Um, it was definitely an interesting experience, and especially with the idea that like this this film was decently budgeted, but uh, still very low budget. And especially when you look at that cast, it's it's a pretty big cast uh, with some, a lot of very well known people, and they definitely did it as a favor to the director uh, Sebastian Gutierrez, who they really liked, as you can as I can tell. That and uh, Sebastian was uh, very cool to work with. He was a very nice guy, and very supportive and definitely asked me like after the production was over, like, Hey, what are you working on? What are you going to be planning on doing? Are you going to direct soon? Are you going to write soon? So he was very, uh, very supportive on the, on the shoot. And I can tell a lot of people, uh, a lot of those actors who did that film did it for their respect and, and love for, uh, the director. Um, so yeah, but it was definitely a lot of, <laughs> a lot of, uh, wrangling around, um, low-budget locations, and uh, uh, trying to figure out how to do do a lot of what we had to do for, for what is kind of like small chump change compared to like bigger films. Um, but did, overall, very few real big bumps and, uh, and, uh, and headaches while making Girl Walks Into a Bar. Uh, the next question. Did you meet Josh? These are like three questions, so I'll, I'll just read them all. Uh, did you meet Josh? What was Josh like? Please tell us everything about Josh. Well, that makes sense, because this is a Josh Hartnett podcast. Um, I did, in fact, meet Josh. Yes, I, I have spoken to Josh. Um, I actually was kind of really excited to, to meet Josh, because uh, and I was excited to meet most of the cast, like, uh, just to be clear, but I, I was, a, was a big fan of the faculty, growing up so honestly I wanted to definitely uh you know definitely say hi to him and he and I did I did meet Josh uh when he rolled up on set again I don't think I've ever met any uh really prima donna actors on this film they every actor on this film was great and Josh Hartnett was absolutely one of them uh super super nice guy and uh I also had to watch his dog during filming he uh uh he brought his dog which sadly i do not remember the name of the dog i am sorry about that uh i'm sure that would have been really really juicy tidbits for you there but i sadly do not remember the name of the dog but i do remember harnett brought his dog and uh very much was like you know justin is okay if you you can watch him you know because i am like and again i was like i understand you're gonna be working and so i no questions asked i I was like, absolutely, I'll absolutely watch your, watch your doc. And, and Hartnett and was like, okay, great. And then uh, the cute moment for me is when, you know, Josh went, you know, put his hands over, over his, his puppy's face and his dog's face. It was like, okay, Josh is going to be watching you now, okay? So, he, which I, I was like, well, that's intensely adorable. <laughs> um, 
I also remember that he said that uh, he was a. It's been a while since he's acted. We interesting enough when we worked on the film. I think his last film was uh, Bunraku, which you guys did cover. So that was the last film he actually did acting on. After that, he kind of took a little break. So uh, he admitted that he was a little rusty uh, while filming, which is kind of funny because honestly, I didn't feel it. I, I thought he did a pretty good job uh, on on the on the film. He was only uh, there for one day, uh, but yeah, no. So you know, he he was he he felt a little unsure. Like, oh, I haven't you know, a little oh, a little rusty on this. I you know, like, I'm sorry if I'm kind of delaying stuff. And everybody was like, "What are you talking about? Like, yeah, you still you're you're good. You're fine." Yeah. So that was something I definitely clearly remember uh, uh, how he was on set. Um, it's funny too because I I. I never even heard of Bunraku until he mentioned it. I was like, what's Bunraku? And he started describing it. I went, that sounds interesting. So yeah, Harnett, uh, if you were waiting for any weird gossipy stuff, I got nothing for you guys. He was a sweetheart and his dog was, was very sweet. In the last question, any interesting stories from the set? Anything particularly weird or interesting? You know, honestly, I, I could say that this was a very smoothly run production and I don't really have anything particularly weird. Working in a strip club was very, very interesting. Um, specifically on the fact that, you know, obviously we had to be professional and no one, you know, no one here acted like a, acted weird or uncomfortable because everyone here was doing their job. But I could say location scouting, yeah, I guess I will talk about, you know, screw it. I, I guess I was, I will talk about how it was shooting on, on a strip club. And the strip club stuff was, was very fascinating. Um, uh, basically, we basically had a film there and the off hours of the club and we had to make sure we were done about 30 minutes before the club had to be open. So, uh, it was kind of an intense day because we brought on extra PAs. We brought on, uh, we had a couple extras there and one of the extras was even accused of, of stealing stuff from the bar. Uh, and yeah, to be fair, the person kind of looked a bit shady and that was I think there was a little bit of tension from the owners of the, the strip club who really were uh, pretty unsure if we were going to finish in time. But I could say safely that by the time that we, you know, we had to wrap up, and it was definitely like an all-hands-on-deck scenario, we, it, we had to wrap the whole set in what I think was 15 minutes. And that sounds insane because we have to put the lights away and, 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 the, and the cords and the, and the cameras and everything. But we somehow did it. I'm not quite sure how we pulled that off, but we we somehow did it. We actually finished it in ten minutes, if I recall, uh, and it was definitely record speed on that. Um, so yeah, no, I would say shooting in a strip club was the only time I felt like that was the most surreal moment. Um, because yeah, immediately once we left, it well it was it was back to being a regular strip club, and we were out. We were done for the day. Uh, all right, so that is all I could remember about uh, working on this film. It, it's it's incredibly low budget. Uh, I have no idea what what you three will think of the movie when when you guys see it. Um, but yeah, I will say this was a it was a fun experience shooting it. And actually, to be to be truthful, this was my last feature. This is the last feature film I worked on as a production assistant. I I I, I worked about another couple years doing mostly like uh indie like uh like 
like music videos and, and, and reality shows. And then after that, I retired from being a PA and I've, I've had a regular job since. So, uh, but this was a nice one to go off of. This is a nice note to go off of. Uh, I think this was a nice production to work on. Like I said, all the actors were great. I, you know, I got a chance to meet Dan DeVito, Rosario Dawson, um, you know, Zachary Quinto, et cetera. You saw that. Yeah. You're, you're, you you saw that cast list. That, that was a, that was fantastic. I, I had a moment to actually chat with Robert Forrester and have a real nice one-on-one with him. And of course, like I said, Josh Harnett, sweetheart. And we're back. And uh, I just want to say thank you so much to my friend, Justin Keyson for giving us that insight. Also, I've got to plug Justin's two podcasts. Uh, that he that he hosts that you should check out. There is Ben View on Spielberg, a Steven Spielberg podcast, uh, and Nothing New, a remake podcast that is about m- movie remakes. And so that you can find those everywhere that podcasts exist. So again, thank you, Justin. Go check out his podcasts. And so now we've got a little bit more insight into the making of this movie. And we confirmed some of our deepest held suspicions, which is that Josh a little sweetheart. Oh, we're, we're very we're so excited to know that da- so Josh nice. is nice. This is the first time we've actually like heard from someone who has met Josh, right? Yeah. Like no, yeah. none of our past guests have met Josh. Mm-mm. We don't know anyone that's met him. And so great. We have firsthand confirmation. Josh, Nice guy. And he likes his dog. He I likes his dog. I wish we knew what his dog's name was. His dog is absolutely like a Westie or something. Like, yeah. there's yeah. no way it's not a small, purebred dog. I bet if you if we Googled Josh Hartnett dog from like 2011. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure some, we wouldn't find a lot of concerning photos of like his him. face superimposed on dog bodies <laughs> in sort of sexually suggestive ways. Like a boy tar? <laughs> so, Have you seen so, a boy tar? No. No? What's that? It's a boy... But with many hind legs, like a centaur. <laughs> this is why we have Matt on this podcast, because no one else oh, is going to provide that information. And every one of those legs have a penis. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Of course they do. Yeah. So, Check it out. So, yeah. So put on safe search and search Josh Hartnett dog. Josh but Hartnett I, dog. I bet there was some, like, interview or profile of him, like, around 2011 or so, yeah. where he just mentioned his dog. So if I you, love... If we, if we want to know. Yeah. I love that story, too, about... You know, handing his dog over to you and then covering, looking his, over to the, his dog and covering his eyes and going, he's going to take care of you for a little bit. Just let it. It's okay, buddy. You know, yeah. it's like Josh, oh, so Josh sounds like a great guy. I, yeah. I, I want to meet Josh. Yeah. Yeah. You're guilty of being a huge sweetie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Also, it's good. It's, it's funny to know that because we, we spent the past like hour or so criticizing this movie. Yeah. But it seems like, hey, for all his faults as a writer and director, Robert Forster, uh, sorry, not Robert Forster, <laughs> Sebastian Gutierrez. E.M. Forster. Uh, yeah. yeah. Sebastian Gutierrez seems to be uh, well respected. A, like, he seems to be a nice guy who, mm-hmm. who actors like, and he can run an efficient set. Yeah, which, on which, a small budget, which is no small feat. No. Small budget productions can usually be just a total nest of issues and problems and people not getting paid properly. You know what else can be? Stuff. Yeah. Big budget productions. Yeah, that's just true. Mo- just film movies productions in general. Uh, we all are- saw The Revenant. <laughs> that was a big deal for a lot of people. Yeah. Huge issues. Movies hard to make. <laughs> And uh, I mean, I mean, it's we, hard to parse like your critiques with what you know exactly you're yeah. critiquing, and you know a lot of people include other things that you don't intend to or you never meant. So, like, sure. That being said, all those criticisms still stand. The movie, <laughs> yeah. the oh, movie yeah. is yeah. a is a flaccid piece of nothing. And, <laughs> right. Uh, Not a lot. I mean, basically, I'm just glad to know that, like, hey, 
it, it's good that no one suffered making yeah, this movie. Yeah, at least yeah. everyone had like seemingly a just a smooth time, and it was done efficiently in budget with like everyone just kind of like doing their thing. Right. Th- this would suck if it was like, oh my god, it was like a a tortured production. It went yeah. so <laughs> far over schedule and over budget. Everyone was miserable and just praying that it turned out okay. Some Josh Dick's got drunk. Vision. Yeah. His day there, he just was like asking for real beers, and everybody's like, no, 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 no. It's called Girl Walks into a Bar, but we're. And so it's acting, dude, and he just kept throwing them back. Actually, Josh and, got rowdy. Josh and Rattari, Justin drink a bunch of whiskey in that scene, right? Uh, People are drinking yeah. constantly. They're They're having, constantly. Are, are they having, like, Macallan Rocks? Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. you know it's Barry's Irish gold tea. Well, why do you say that? Well, I don't know. It's just like a classic whiskey-colored tea. That some people drink in lieu of whiskey. Yeah. As movie magic. What a weird idea. It's crazy. <laughs> anyway. What, that's absurd. People oh, are drinking a lot. <laughs> it's one of those movies, the people were drinking so much that like I did get like this sort of secondhand sick drunk feeling. Because people yeah, were just sucking true. down loads of beer. And also, like, part of me was like trying to keep track of the chronology of the film, and I was like, it's so late. <laughs> it's so late at night. And I feel tired. They're drinking so much booze. You know, I don't know. I just got that like sort of sympathy, like you must be, you're gonna be hungover tomorrow. Yeah. Right. Also, one thing I thought about during this movie, uh, because this is L.A., where you can't really just walk everywhere, mm. and I'm like, so is Carla Gugino driving and then finding parking Everyone's outside every bar she's going to? <laughs> Everyone's but, reckless. But like, how driving. much time is she spending driving around blocks trying to find a parking space, <laughs> or is she like spending money on parking? Like, uh, guys, that's why I never want to move to L.A. Yeah. Yeah. It's just everything's so spread out. Uh, the, the, the driving and then the parking nightmare. Although I want to drink at the drawing room. That's a bar. That's a bar in L.A.? I don't know if that's a bar in the movie. Bar Lubitsch is the other one that I recognized. Oh, that yeah. I wanted to drink at, but yeah. Guys, let you know what? Let's uh, just get this podcast successful, and then we'll do like a live episode in L.A., and then we'll, just go, <laughs> we'll visit L.A. You guys want to do bar? Like we can be the Doughboys, but bar reviews? No, we'll just be recording this in LA. <laughs> yeah, all right. We'll, we'll just do like a live We Heart Heart in a bar. So, guys, tell all your friends get it, get us so that we we have like I don't know a hundred thousand downloads per episode. Yeah. That's what we want to get. <laughs> that would be good for us. We could if we could uh, increase our uh, viewer listenership by a hundredfold. <laughs> that would be really cool. Also, we would like sponsors. So, just tell your friends about our We Heart Heart in a podcast. Tell Blue Apron. Why did you? <laughs> why did you say it like what? that, Jake? What happened? Tell Dollar Shave Club. Jake, you said Blue Rapron. That was, <laughs> <laughs> and that sucked. That's a very different service. Wait, Jake's actually. <laughs> and turn out, Jake, Jake is doing a method podcast, and he's been drinking along with, with this yeah. whole discussion. Jake's the first take of uh, Quint's character in Jaws that they trashed because it was bad. Yeah, <laughs> Jake, don't. Cool it, man. All right, dude. Cool I did it, have a Red Bull vodka. You have That's a true. you have a huge problem, and we <laughs> and it's been going getting really bad. Yeah, and your wife is here, like uh, looking very concerned from across the room. She's been weeping from the other room the whole time. She's shaking her head. No, you guys are liars. She loves me. You sound drunk right now. Shut up. <laughs> I'll <laughs> kill you. You've had enough, <laughs> guys. Do we have anything else to say? Ooh. <laughs> guys, guys, this is going to be a relatively short episode Good. for us, which I'm proud of. So I think we can wrap this thing up. Yeah. yeah. We're going to wrap it up? Okay, okay, Dude, guys. Dude, show. Guys, we heart on metrics. Here we... Oh, right. Do we have... I... 
I feel like this is the thing that we say more often than anything else. Uh, no heart on for the movie. Mild heart on for Josh. <laughs> He's not doing a lot there, but I'm glad to see him, and it's good to know that he had a cute little dog on set that day. Oh, my God, yeah. Ditto. Yeah. I've Yeah, ditto, son. No heart on for the film. One of those, you know when you're waking up in the morning and maybe you roll on your stomach? And you feel a little tingle. Oh. <laughs> that's what you that's about. That's about where I'm gonna go with that. Okay, so there's <laughs> that, that morning there's that, belly tingle. There's that. <laughs> this is that sweet content you guys crave. So y'all know what I'm talking about. So don't even act like you don't. So if if you wanna tell Matt that he's a big old weirdo and he should be fired from the podcast, tweet at us at heartheartnet on Twitter. Send us emails heartheartnet at gmail.com. Follow us on. Instagram. Yeah. We are on there too now. The Instagram account is We Heart Heartnet. Watch the videos we make at youtube.com slash Patrick H. Willems. Uh, follow me on all the social medias at Patrick H. Willems. Follow me on Twitter at JR Torpy. Let me know if I have a drinking problem. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Matthew Torpy and Instagram at Matt.sucks. Yes. And thank you again <laughs> to Justin Keyson. Uh-huh. Listen to his podcasts. Uh, yes. Ben View on Spielberg and Thank uh, you again, and, and nothing new a remake podcast. He, finally, we got some we got some firsthand behind the scenes info about a Josh Hartnett film. Eat we it, Matt will Gorley. be back here next week with a movie you are all big fans of. It's called Stuck Between Stations, <laughs> and if you've seen it, I am shocked. Good night, everybody. Good luck. It's been fun. Bruh.